Hey, what's up, Life Point Church? How y'all doing today? Woo. Aren't you glad you came to church today? Hey, welcome everybody. My name is Mike Burnett. My wife Stephanie and I are so honored to serve you and get to be pastors of this church here along with our amazing team. It is truly an honor to have you. If this is your first time with us, we are so grateful for you. Welcome to Life Point. And if it's your first time back, maybe since last Sunday, you were here at Easter and this is your second week back, we're just so glad that you're here. Uh, if you would do me a favor, there's a QR code. I'm asking him to put it back on the screen for us. We, Pastor Willie talked about it earlier, but it's also on the seat back of a lot of the seats in front of you. If you would scan that, there's a landing page there for first-time guests, uh, for all of our next steps, really. You can register for Flourish there as well. But uh, I do wanna say, if you said yes to Jesus at Easter, we had a lot of people commit their lives to Christ last week, which we celebrate that. Um, but if you said yes and didn't tell us, we would ask that you please let us know that because we wanna give you, make sure you have a good Bible, get you connected to the, the right small group for you to learn new things about Jesus, this new faith that you have, and we wanna get you connected well to his church. So uh, welcome again, and thank you for being a part of today's service. Also, those of you joining us online, we're so glad to be with you guys. Uh, on our website at lifepointchurch.tv is a connect button, and that's where you would fill that out as well. Those of you in the room, is it hot in here, or is it just me? Whew. Now listen, I got the lights on me and a jacket on. So I promise you I'm hotter than you. If you amen me, I'll let them turn the air on. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but I just wanna remind you, as muggy and hot as it is in here, it ain't like hell. So keep your life right. <clears throat> keep your life right. And everybody be thankful this is not uh, 1922 and we're not in a tent somewhere in a field. You know what I'm saying? So just count your blessings. You're still doing all right, all right. Whew, it is warm. It's like 75 degrees in here. We, I always wondered in the church, why does the AC unit always go out on a Sunday morning? There are 160 other hours of the week it can go out, but it waits, till, that's the devil. That's how you know the devil is real. Anyway, uh, if you can endure it, I can, I promise. But if I pass out, please just let me lie here. Just leave me, <laughs> throw some water on me. I'm tired anyway, so. We had a great Easter, everybody. Six services here, one at Austin P. Thousands of guests, y'all. It was an amazing day, we celebrate that. And many, many people give their lives to Jesus. So we thank you for that. I wanna thank you as I always do for being a generous church. And I wanna challenge you if you've not participated in this part of the life of our church, generosity, tithing, giving, et cetera. I wanna challenge you to take that step. But uh, this summer, Stephanie and I will have been here 12 years. I'm really excited for that. And, and I've just watched over the course of 12 years, your consistency to be a generous church is so humbling. I'm thankful. I mean, your weekly giving now is more than what we had the entire first year I was a pastor here. So I'm just thankful for that. And, and beyond that, it's what we do. Listen, I'm not a pastor that's after your money. I don't even know what you individually give. I don't check that. But I, I know what we're able to do. I know the, the, the laundry truck that we were able to buy for YAPAC with cash because of your giving. We were able to help sponsor that with another partner in the church. And we, put, we provided a $75,000 laundry vehicle for them to go into disasters and help people wash their clothes. I mean, it's one of those things that you never think about as necessary, but your giving helped make that happen with no issues. Uh, the, the churches were able to plant, the, the organizations were able to help. In fact, our daughter church, Victory in Smyrna, Tennessee, they just opened their first permanent location and they're already in two services with overflow and they're doing great. They've, and, and you guys paid for their sign on their building. Just simple things like that where your giving is making a, an impact and a difference. I do wanna invite all of you that have never maybe taken a step to become a tither and a giver in your church to take that step. And it's actually, uh, it can be nerve wracking, it can be intimidating, or it could be something a little unsettling. And maybe you've never done this and you're, you've been nervous, but I wanna, I wanna challenge you to let the Lord show up in this area of your life. 
In the book of Malachi, it's, a, it's an Old Testament prophetic book. It's the last book of the Old Testament, actually. God speaks through a man named Malachi, a prophet, and he tells the people to step, in, step out in faith in this area of giving. And he says that as we tithe, God says, I'll meet your needs. How many of you think God being involved with your needs is a big deal? It's great, right? So I grew up broke and poor, right? So I grew up with this idea, if I need something, I'm gonna go work hard, I'm gonna hustle, I'm gonna grind, I'm gonna get it. But God says, hey, if you'll let me, I'll be a part of that. And uh, this is what tithing is. It's letting God being a part of that. And what we do as a church, we believe in tithing and we practice that. That is where we bring the first 10th portion of our income to the Lord and we give it through his house. We don't give it through charities and other organizations. We bring a tithe to God through his church. And then offerings is everything we do beyond that. That's where we give to other organizations, et cetera. But as a pastor I've watched over the years, we've challenged people to take a step of faith in tithing and I've watched families and couples and single people over the years, they're always nervous to take that first step. And I always say, well, just dare God, like challenge him. We, we do what's called a 90-day tithe challenge. And we say, you dare God, and if he doesn't take care of your needs, we'll refund all of your tithe back to you, and then you and I are gonna meet for a prayer meeting. And in, it's true. It, we call it a 90-day tithe challenge. And for 10 years, we've been offering that. You tithe for 90 days. If God doesn't take care of your needs, we'll give it back to you and then we'll meet for prayer. I've never had anyone come back for prayer, ever, not one time. But we've had countless families say, oh my gosh, this was the hardest thing, we were so nervous, but God, but God, but God. One guy, uh, his name's Curtis, he's part of our church, he said, I was gonna tithe to get my money back. I was determined to prove that that doesn't work, that Mike was making it up, and he said, I started tithing to be the first guy to get my money back. And within a week, God like miraculously did some things in his life, and, um, he said, I'll never not tithe again in my life because God, it's testing God. You ain't testing me. It ain't even my money. You know what I'm saying? It's God's money. So what do I care? Give God's money back to somebody. You know what I'm saying? I don't care. So here, here's the challenge specifically from God's word. Malachi 3 verse 10, God says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse so that there's food in my house. And the storehouse in the new covenant is the church. It's where needs are met, ministries are taken care of. And then God says, put me to the test and see if I won't open the windows of heaven to pour down a blessing until there's no more need. That's the part of God saying, I'll take care of your needs. Some people have misused that text to say, God will pour out a blessing until you have everything you want. Well, God don't care about all the things you want, but he does care about you having your needs met. God said, you put me first and I'll make sure your needs are taken care of. And all the tithers can say amen to that, am I right? So I just wanna challenge you. He, He starts actually four verses before that promise. He says, by the way, I am the Lord and I do not change. So God has always been faithful to these things. So I just wanna challenge you, if you've never stepped out in tithing before, dare God, take a, t- take a challenge season with God, maybe through the summer. Say, Lord, I'm gonna tithe, I'm gonna trust you, and l- just see what God will do. And if your needs aren't met, I promise you, we'll give it back to you. Amen? Amen. All right, hey, turn with me to Acts chapter 14. We are back in the book of Acts. And uh, today, is a, it's kind of a challenging text to preach through, right? So the book of Acts is an historical narrative. It reads like a, like a history book in a lot of respects. And so we have to learn from the stories of the Acts of the Apostles. It's actually, my, my wife was talking about this in a, a recent commentary she read. It's really the, act of the, the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles, right? That's what the book of Acts really shows is the movement of God and the Holy Spirit throughout the, the New Testament church being started. But I wanna challenge us with a, a sermon that I've titled, Trust the Holy Spirit. And I think it's an appropriate message for the region of the country that we live in and the type of Christianity that we're experienced in, in this part, in the Southeast. You know, um, there, there's a lot of church expressions that love God the Father, love God the Son, and love God the Holy Bible. You know what I'm saying? But they don't know what to do, that was a joke, but they don't know what to do with the Holy Spirit. And some folks in church traditions, like, we are nervous about the Holy Spirit. We don't know what to do with it. We've ha- heard of things. We, we kind of 
connect to weird stuff that's happened or churches that do things that we're not comfortable with. Uh, I, w- I was in a funeral, officiating a funeral with two other pastors one time. And um, before the funeral, the three of us were kind of, we were in the office um, waiting on the funeral to get started. And we were just talking shop, you know, as pastors do. And um, one of the guys asked, what's my background? And I said, I come from a Pentecostal tradition. And one guy, his eyes got real big. <laughs> I'm just gonna lean on him. I'm like, you want some? Like, come here. Let me touch you, you know, like, <laughs> get him up. You know, anyway, I, you know, I didn't wanna be weird about it, but he said, he was like, man, this is exactly what he said. He goes, man, I don't know about the Holy Spirit stuff. And then he says, I don't even touch that. In preaching and pastoring, he said, I don't even talk about the Holy Spirit. And then he goes, I just talk about Jesus and the Bible. And I go, well, Jesus talked a lot about the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and so is the Bible. So let me just say, I wanna do like, I'm gonna start with a little bit of old school, just theology on you about the Holy Spirit. Cause some of us have, a, a, a misunderstood reality about the Holy Spirit. Some of us may be fearful or some of us have been on the other side of the pendulum where it's like, we're so Holy Spirit, we don't even know how to talk to people normally. You know what I'm saying? So I want us to bring us to a place of center. And, and if you'll let me, I'm gonna flex a little of my uh, theological degrees on you because frankly, um, my wife's not very impressed. You know what I'm saying? Like <laughs> my, my doctorate is in my bedroom. I don't put any of my degrees in my office at the church, but it's in my bedroom. And you know, recently I was like, hey babe. And I pointed at my doctorate. The paper, not the, you know. I go, did you know I, I'm a doctor? I'm trying to like spit game, you know, it's a flirt, you know, she did. She's like, great, can you fold this laundry? You know, <laughs> doctor, my, <laughs> anyway, that's only partially true. Um, so let me, just, let me just back you in a little bit. Like, you're not a Christian without the Holy Spirit. You don't have Christianity without the Holy Spirit on the inside of you. We need to learn to trust what the Word of God teaches us about the Holy Spirit, what Jesus taught us about the Holy Spirit, and what God the Holy Spirit has done in the Scripture, God the Holy Spirit wants to do in you. And we need to learn to trust the Holy Spirit is here to help us live in good times and in difficult times. He helps us live godly. The Bible says that His divine power has given us everything we need to live life and live godly. What's the power of God? It's the Spirit of God. It's His Spirit that helps us live upright and godly in this present age. We've gotta trust the Spirit to still do miracles, to still answer prayers. How many of you know God still hears our prayers and answers them through his Holy Spirit? We trust that the Holy, I am spitting like crazy up here. That's the anointing, sit up in the front, it'll get on you. We, we need to learn to trust the Spirit of God is on the inside of us. Listen to how Jesus talked about the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, I am going to the Father, I'm going back to the Father after I die and resurrect and ascend. He said, I'm going back to the Father so that the Holy Spirit will come and he will dwell in you and among you. That's what Jesus said. So do we trust Jesus? Yes, of course. So that means the Holy Spirit dwells on the inside of us and dwells among us as the body of Christ. We have this bad Sunday school theology that we pray a prayer and Jesus comes and lives inside our heart. That's false. Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father praying over us because he resurrected bodily. How do we have a 6'2 bodily man in our heart? It doesn't make sense. It's by the Spirit of God that God lives in us. So we don't have Christianity without the Spirit living on the inside of us. So here's what we have to understand. We serve the Lord and we live our lives for God and it's because of the resurrection of God the Son, but it's through the power and dependence on God the Spirit that we're able to live for God. The Bible says that Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father, that he's praying over the church at all time. But it's the Spirit who lives in us, who dwells in us, listen to me, who fills us, empowers us, who convicts us of sin. This is why it's challenging for a Christian to habitually, repeatedly live in sin. Yeah. 
because your body is the dwelling house of the spirit if you're a Christian. And that, that spirit does not abide well with sin. Have you ever noticed when you're tempted to sin and you give in, you have a little bit of conflict, right? You're feeling conviction. That's not guilt, that's conviction. That's the Holy Spirit going, hey, I live in here. Get that off my, get that out of my lungs. Get that stuff off of my, get your mind right. Cause it's my house. It's the spirit going, quit sleeping with her and him. That's my house. And so there's a grind when we co continue to live in sin willfully because the spirit on the inside of us. Now here's, here's something you got to check yourself. If you feel no guilt or conviction about sin, you need to be asking, does the spirit in fact live in you? Have you yielded your life to Jesus? You might believe Jesus is real, but you may not have invited him to be Lord by his spirit. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying today? So, so let me give you some broad theology on how the Trinity works, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We are loved by the Father who desires all people to be saved and a part of his family. We are saved, forgiven, redeemed, delivered by the amazing work of Jesus, God the Son, who died on the cross. God the Father didn't die on the cross. God the Holy Spirit didn't die on the cross. God the Son died on the cross, raised from the dead by the Father through the power of the Holy Spirit, actually. That's the full Trinity at work in the resurrection. And he offers salvation and forgiveness of sins and a reconciled relationship with the Father. And God the Spirit says, I'm gonna live on the inside of you. I'm gonna dwell in you. I'm gonna take residence in your life. And I'm gonna help you obey the Father in the name of the Son by the power of me, the Spirit. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? God blesses us with miracles. He empowers us with gifts. Jesus said about the Spirit that as believers will lay hands on the sick and the sick recover. That's by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, we'll speak in new tongues. By the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus said, we'll cast out demons from people. And it's not by your power or by your eloquence or wisdom of your world. It's by the power of the Holy Spirit of God on the inside of us. You're not saved without the Spirit on you. While God the Father and the Son are overseeing in prayer, God the Spirit is indwelling and empowering us to live for God. Today, we're gonna pick up in the book of Acts and see the Spirit in the middle of this crazy storm of ministry. I mean, Paul and Barnabas, everybody's like, I wish I had a biblical ministry. I don't think most people would want this ministry. Paul and Barnabas are visiting city after city, preaching the gospel of Jesus. And there's a pattern developing. And I wanna show you the pattern. We've been seeing it over the last year, actually. We're, we've just finished a year in the book of Acts. The pattern has been, the gospel is preached, people hear it, they receive it gladly. They get saved, they get baptized, God will give miracles, healing, miracles, whatever the case. And there's, then they tell others and more people come. So there's this one pattern of the gospels preached, people hear it, believe, get saved, and revival. The other pattern at the same time, because of the same work, so the gospels preached and this happens, and because the gospels preached, haters gonna hate, hey, 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 hey. <laughs> and the religious establishment gets jealous, fearful, angry, and start attacking the preachers. So the preachers have a great response here and a terrible response here. Both patterns are living out at the same time because of the one activity of God the Holy Spirit working through these preachers. So the pattern of revival, life change, and transformation is on those who've received the gospel and the pattern of bitterness, anger, jealousy, and fits of rage and the fear of losing power and control, seeking to have the preachers killed is happening over here. Both patterns and in the middle, is the spirit working through apostles and prophets and teachers. It's encouraging to see how the early church leaders didn't quit. They kept going when the ministry was great, even when persecution was hot. They kept moving forward when people were offended and frustrated and hard-headed. 
you would think the religious leaders, the Jewish religious leaders, would have thought, we've been praying for this for centuries. But instead they said, we're losing our power, let's kill them. But the Spirit keeps Paul and Barnabas on mission and on purpose and keeps going. So if we're gonna trust the Spirit, okay, we have to first realize that the Spirit of God is gonna help us, but you gotta stay flexible. I have a friend, Dr. George Wood, I'm gonna talk about his dad in a moment. He, he had the 10th beatitude of Jesus. You know the beatitudes, blessed are the meek, they'll inherit the earth, blessed are the pure in heart. His 10th beatitude was, blessed are the flexible, for they will not bend, be, be bent. <laughs> The, the Spirit of God help, helps us, but we gotta stay flexible. Now watch what happens to Paul. We're in Acts 14, and just for history, in Acts 13, 12 and 13, Paul and Barnabas are sent out for their first ministry journey, missionary journey, and they're brand new preachers. But Paul's very smart, he knows the gospel, he knows the Bible really well. And in chapter 13, he preaches the Bible. You remember this, he goes to Antioch of Pisidia and he preaches the entirety of the, like, the old covenant and points it to Jesus and the outsiders, the Gentiles get really excited but the religious leaders get spun up. So what did Paul and Barnabas do? I don't know if you remember this, at the end of chapter 13, they shook the dust off their shoes on the edge of Antioch and says they went to Iconium. Remember that, I preached it two weeks ago. If you don't remember, you weren't here, skipper. Anyway, it's in the paragraph right in your Bible. I was kidding about you skipping, but for real quick. Okay, so they shake the dust off their shoes and now they go to Iconium. That's in chapter 13. So now we pick up in Iconium. In verse one, it says, now at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue. That's what happened in the last city, Antioch. They go to the synagogue and the synagogue leaders go, hey, new guys, you got anything you wanna say? Paul goes, yes, I do. He preaches the whole gospel. I remember that two weeks ago. So now they're in another synagogue. Iconium, they enter together into the Jewish synagogue and they spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed in Jesus. Come on, somebody. That's awesome preaching, right? Immediately, people, they're in there preaching. People give their lives to Christ. Verse two, but the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles. The unbelieving Jews, that, they, these are the antagonistic Jews that are not believing in Messiah, not believing the gospel. And it's, it's implied that these are the leaders of the synagogue. The unbelieving Jews and, uh, stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against these brothers. So they, Paul and Barnabas, remained. This is interesting. Last time they shook the dust and left, but this time they stayed put. Look at what it says. They remained for a long time and they spoke boldly for the Lord who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. Interesting, so they stayed put, they kept preaching and miracles happened. Can I just say, first of all, they're on the tail end of their first preaching tour or ministry journey. They've been to multiple cities threatened by the Jewish synagogue leaders. In the last town, they were threatened so heavily that Paul and Barnabas just shook the dust off their sandals and left Antioch of Pisidia, now they headed on to Antioch. So they're used to being persecuted. They're used to the patterns, right? We preach the gospel, people get saved, miracles happen, revival hits. We preach the gospel, the power brokers get mad and they, they rattle their sabers and they threaten to kill us and so we just go to the next town. But this time, for some reason they didn't leave. They lock in. Even though the persecution is rising, the Jewish leaders are, are lying to the other outsiders and poisoning their mind against Paul and Barnabas, this time they stay. Even though there were adversarial Jewish leaders lying about them, poisoning the mind of others, they kept preaching. They stayed in place and they stayed, look what it says, boldly 
for the Lord. Okay, we gotta realize the Spirit will help you and you gotta be flexible. But sometimes God's gonna have you stay put in a place to do something for him. Now look, in the last city, God said, y'all get on out of here. They shake the dust, they leave with the same kind of persecution arising. But this time God says, stay put. And when in their staying put, it was a place they didn't know, it was a place they weren't wanted, and the people were getting all worked up about them, but God says they need to stay. So their response in the staying is to ignite the fire hotter and stay bold for the things of God. So they boldly speak for the Lord, and then watch what God does who God bears witness to his word of grace, granting signs and wonders, miracles done by the hands of the apostles. Can you imagine the miracles that would have been deleted from the Bible had they left when the pressure got hot? But instead, Paul and Barnabas stayed put. Maybe God wants you to stay in something a little longer because he's still working some things out through you and with you. Maybe when the, when the pressure rises, I mean, we live in a generation today, my goodness, don't get on anybody's feelings or get anybody any pressure or some real stress because we just quit everything, right? But maybe God wants you to stay put in some seasons and learn how to trust God and grow in boldness, even in some times of difficulty, because God wants to do some signs and wonders, not only in you, but maybe even through you. Sometimes we just need to be bolder than our boldest critics. We gotta be stronger than the strongest stupid. We have to, <laughs> you're welcome. I've heard it said, people who take risks are the ones who actually change the world. Hey, church, be bold, be risky, be confident for the gospel. Don't be annoying, don't be a nuisance, don't be rude, but be bold for the gospel. And maybe God will do something on the back end of your boldness. When I tell you this, church, Listen, I wanna tell you, be as bold as you can about the gospel. Be as bold as you can about living for God. It may not be comfortable. It may not be popular at your workplace. Your family may reject you, but keep serving God and keep being bold for him. Trust that the spirit of God will meet you on the backside of boldness. Step out in faith. Pray bold prayers. Don't worry about offending people. Quit worrying about separation of church and state. It's not even real. Lean in to being a person wherever God has you planted. I've, I've told this to pastors, you know, the last couple of years have been hard for everyone in every industry, right? Hospitalists, pastors, bankers, everybody's had a hard time the last few years. But I've had to tell pastors, hey, if you didn't assign yourself to that church, you don't get to quit on that church. You gotta stay put, listen, the company you're working for, the family, the marriage you're fighting to hold on to, maybe God wants you to fight a little longer because he's about to do some signs and wonders among you. If God hasn't released you, stay put. Man, that is hard to hear sometimes, especially when it feels like no one's listening. Here, the, the leaders aren't listening. They're lying. They're poisoning the minds of others. But if God's got you somewhere, stay put. The Spirit of the Lord helps them. My question is, can God use you where he has you? Sometimes we, we're conditional with God. We go, well, I wish, I wish God would put me in greener pastures. Then he could use me. Maybe God won't put you there because you haven't been trustworthy here. Now listen, um, recently Stephanie's been on a, a kick about just being bold in prayer in whatever situation. Even situations that are hard, that seem bleak, that seem impossible, right? They're in an impossible situation. They're foreigners in this town and everybody's mad at them, but they stayed put because God wants to do some things there. Stephanie's been saying more recently in the last few weeks, let's just pray about it. Let's just believe God for bold prayers. And she's always been stronger in prayer than me, frankly. I'm stronger on the bench press than her, but she's stronger in prayer than me. It's true. Uh, that's her first go-to. Me, I'd rather talk about it, work it out, argue it out, you know, prove something right or wrong. And she's like, let's just pray. 
So recently we had a friend in her small group whose father had gone down to the Virgin Islands and when he was there, he got really sick and almost died. Like it was a terrible illness that he was dealing with, some kind of intestinal, uh, something happened in his body. And the medical care on the island was not sufficient to care for him. Well, he needed to be medevaced out. Well, the, de the details of his ability to be flown out were really difficult because of the nature of his illness, the quarantine issues, also the cost. They were looking at 40 grand for a private pilot to come get him and take him to Florida. Well, then they had to find a hospital in the US to take him based on him coming internationally with this particular illness, COVID restrictions, quarantines, all that kind of stuff, money cost. Stephanie goes, we're gonna pray, grabbing hands and praying, telling other people, let's pray. And within a day, and I know they were already praying, so I'm not trying to, this is about Jesus, not about Stephanie, even though she works for him. But listen, <laughs> within a day of us praying, we're rallying small groups and other people to pray. Some pilot showed up that was willing to fly him past the swamps of Florida, bless God, to the glorious state of Tennessee where Jesus is from, took him to the University of Tennessee Medical Center in Knoxville, and there was a doctor to treat him, and he's on the mend, he's doing a lot better, and it was miracle after miracle after miracle that lined up. Now listen, some people would say, well, it's his lot in life. Well, what are we gonna do? Well, you know, maybe it's his season. Maybe, hey, everybody's got a time to die. Or we could be bold and believe God for a miracle and just start asking God. And look, it's great to celebrate on the back end. It's hard to pray through on the front end because you gotta step out in faith and be bold. But maybe God has us going through some things to let his name become bigger and to let God get the glory for getting that. He's watching the service this week. I mean, he's doing better and he's, getting, he's, he's on the mend and he's gonna survive. Maybe the Lord wants to keep you in something to teach you something. I remember, this is not closed all the way. I remember um, after I finished seminary, Stephanie and I, I was looking for jobs. We, we had one daughter and pregnant with a second and I had no job. Um, in fact, I was, I was expecting like I'd, have, I'd be turning down offers, you know, I'm such a catch. Nope, no job offer, except one at her home church in Dayton, Ohio. And you know the good things going, there's a lot of good things going on in Ohio, like 75 South takes you out of Ohio. That's a good thing. <laughs> I'm just kidding, takes you right to Tennessee. It's true, it's true. Anyway, uh, it's her home church where she grew up, her family's there, all of her family's there, her parents were there, it's lifetime babysitting. I mean, there's a lot of great things about this offer, in fact. And a church that we loved where we were married, the problem was we didn't have peace about it. And we fought through this for about eight months, just asking the Lord, God, give us a sign, give us peace, make it clear. We're applying for all these other jobs, doors closed, 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 and we have this one giant wide open door. We didn't have any peace. And uh, this Sunday before I graduated from graduate school, we've got Lucy's born, a daughter on the way, no job. I told the Lord in prayer in our Sunday school class, our small group, we told our small group, we said, hey, would you guys pray with us that God force his peace on us? because we don't have peace, and would he just throw it on us? And they're like, if you don't have peace from God, you probably shouldn't do it. I was like, I'm unemployed, man, I need a job. I'm a hard worker, I need a, I need a job. So that afternoon, we just decided, Stephanie and I just kinda, we're gonna take this job. And we get home, and I'm not advocating for this plan, by the way. We get home, and um, I'm putting my daughter down for a nap, a one-year-old baby, and I get a phone call, and then I get a second phone call, and both phone calls were the same voicemail, and hey, he's fine, he can actually come up here and hang out with me if you want him to. He's all good, he don't bother me. I've been waiting for the day for somebody to take me up on the sit on the stage offer, so anyway. Um, I get a phone call from a lady who I hadn't talked to in a year. She was a spiritual mother at the last church that we served at together in Knoxville. 
And she called me, she said, I was driving home from church and God put you on my heart really clearly. She said, I saw you standing on my dashboard, like an image of you in a suit with a, a book bag on. And she said, so I just started praying for you. She said, I prayed all the way home. She said, I was praying in tongues for you. I was praying for you in the spirit. I was praying, God, what's going on with Mike? She said, I didn't know if you were dying or sick or what. She said, I got home and the Lord told me to call you and tell you something. This is the voicemail. She said, God told me to call you and tell you, you're about to take a job out of state and the Lord's not in that job and you need to stay put. And then she said this, God's gonna bring you through a really hard season to prepare you for the next season where he's gonna have you for a long time. And the second message was, this is your spiritual mama calling to tell you, make sure that voicemail went through and she said it all again. So then I play it for Stephanie, we start crying, we have peace. But the peace was not fun, like I had to stay put. I didn't wanna live there, I didn't wanna stay there and I didn't wanna stay in a hard season. Who, who signs up for hard? So I called her and I go, who you been talking to? She said, what are you talking about? I said, who you been talking to? You been talking to Stephanie? She says, I ain't talked to y'all in a year. I ain't heard about y'all in a year. She said, I've been talking to God. And the Lord told me to tell you, you're about to take a job somewhere that he's not in. It's out of state maybe. And you need to stay put. And the Lord's gonna bring you through a hard season that'll prepare you for the next place he has you, which is where you'll be for a long time. Incidentally, the next two years, I took a, a job in that same town. And they were the two hardest years of my entire adult life. In ministry, as a career, in everything. It was just hard, hard, hard. And I'd go back to that word that God's doing some things in me. And he's showing me some things. But man, I hated it. And it prepared me to interview for LifePoint, which is where I've been now for 12 years. But it was that season, maybe, hey, glory to Jesus, that ain't about me, I can't believe it. But maybe God wants to let you stay in something a little longer so that you can be bold enough for him that he can do some things through you there. And I just love that Paul and Barnabas didn't just skip town when it got tough again. They didn't shake the dust every time anybody didn't retweet their tweets, you know what I'm saying? They stayed put. Well then, this is the flexible part. But then, when the people of the city, they were divided, first church split, right? So now, some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. Well, then there was an attempt that was made by the Gentiles and the Jews, and now the rulers of the city. So imagine the mayor and the cops and all of them people coming together to mistreat Paul and Barnabas and to stone them to death. Then they learned about it, and they got up out of Dodge. This is the flexible part. For some reason, God said, stay put at first, and now God gives them the freedom to flex out of there. And here's what I don't understand, like I don't know why, but what I do know is what God's asked you to do today, he may not ask you to do tomorrow. But he wants to do some things in us and we gotta trust that God's, he's helping us and he's leading us and it's a day by day leading. And, and listen, the, the, one of the worst things you can do is say, whatever God did in me yesterday is what he's only gonna do with me forward. No, 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 God may wanna do some things in you now and keep you put somewhere to, to be bold for him, but then stay flexible and let the Lord lead you in a different direction. Stay bold for him and stay flexible. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And you've gotta be able to discern this. This is part of you being a God follower, a Christian, a, a spirit-filled person. You have to be able to discern when to stay put and when to keep praying, preaching, and staying bold for God. And then you need to be able to discern when it's time to move on. Plus, you need to stay alive. Paul and Barnabas were worthless dead, right? Some of us need to take this as a general principle of relationships and seasons of life and jobs. We're spirit-led for a reason. God may bring a sunset phase to your career or this season of life or the relationship that you're trying really hard to maintain. That might be times where the spirit says, stay put, dig in, lean in, fix the relationship, serve that church a little longer, trust God and stay put. And sometimes we need to know when to move on. 
let God lead us into a new season, a new job or a new whatever, out of that toxic relationship. Trust God's spirit to lead. Stay flexible when God flexes. It's like the great prophet Kenny Rogers said. You gotta know when to hold them. Know when to fold them. Sing it, girl. I hear you over there. Know when to walk away and know when to run. You never count your money when you're sitting at the table. It's a great song. My daughters, I got into that song during the pandemic and my daughters, we play it all the time and they just love it. <laughs> I'm intrigued by Paul and Barnabas. They had this multi-city ministry tour, but the central figure of their ministry was the spirit that led them in highs and lows. The spirit was, was consistent and flexible with them. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? Some of us are get so rigid about the Holy Spirit and working for God and then for God. Listen, be at peace. God, the God who never changes is always doing new stuff with us. Let him flex you. He may put you in this relationship or this friendship or this job for a season, and then he may move you on and learn to be flexible. Trust the Lord, be led of the Lord, be led by the peace that comes from the spirit on the inside of you. Don't just quit because it's hard. God doesn't always give you an out because people don't like you. Now, when they try to kill you, it's probably a good, I mean, I just gotta tell you, as a pastor of this church, if y'all try to stone me next Sunday, I ain't coming back next week. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? I'm going to First Baptist downtown. I'm gonna help Ronnie. I'm gonna join his team. I'm gonna say, these are the only people on Rossview. I don't know what's wrong with them. I ain't coming back. I don't have that kind of faith. Maybe I don't know what's wrong with me. Paul and Barnabas had it going on. If we're gonna trust the spirit, we gotta keep seeking the Lord more than anything or caveat anyone else. Here's what's interesting. So they leave Iconium and they go to Derby, Lystra. And, and at Lystra, there was a man sitting there who couldn't use his feet. He was crippled from birth. He never walked. Notice how Luke, like, make sure you understand how severe this is. He was crippled from birth. Never used his feet. Never walked. And he's listening to Paul speaking. What's Paul speaking about? The gospel, right? He's preaching. Jesus died for your sin, raised from the dead. He's a miracle worker. We've healed people, all this kind of stuff. And so he's listening to Paul speak. And Paul looks at him intently. I can just imagine the apostle Paul. Like I, as a preacher, you know, I'm always scanning the room and watching. And I, I gotta be careful how much eye contact I give somebody because I weird them out. Right? But Paul's just dead staring this dude. It's weird, isn't it? And Paul looks at him intently and watch. He's discerning. He's seeing this guy's got faith to be healed. That's part of the spirit in Paul. Now watch this. So Paul says in a loud voice, stand up right on your feet. And the dude springs up and starts walking. Remember what Luke said? Crippled from birth, never walked. Stand up right on your feet. And he stands up and begins walking. Can I just say amazing God is a healer. He's still doing victorious things. He's still changing lives. He's still doing miracles. In fact, some people say, well, miracles aren't for today. That's crazy talk. First of all, salvation is a miracle. And that happens every day. But God's still transforming. I shared the story with you last week about how the, the, the team at Yapak went into a hospital room at Vanderbilt and they saw tumors on a guy's body disappear before their eyes and the doctors even documented it. I read a story of a missionary friend, uh, George Roy Wood. He, his son and grandson are friends of mine. George Roy Wood was a missionary to Tibet in 1934. Uh, his son was a friend of mine. He just passed in January. He was the general superintendent of a fellowship that I'm a part of. And his grandson, George Paul Wood, and I are friends. In fact, I'm wearing this watch in honor of him because he has the same one and he's watching the service. Anyway, his grandfather, George Roy Wood, 
was working in Tibet. He was working in a Tibetan village to lead people to Jesus. And, and these people are getting saved. They're giving their lives to Christ. And the chief of the, the village hated George for it because he was losing power in his people to the gospel. And so he tried to kill him with poison. He poisoned him either by drink or food. He poisoned him. And it worked. Man, George got violently sick, literally on death's door. In another city, he's in this village alone overnight. And in another city, his wife wakes up in the middle of the night. She suddenly arose, right, by the Lord. And God says to her, pray for your husband and don't stop praying. She begins praying, 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 praying in the spirit, praying over him, praying for God's protection, his healing. She didn't know what to pray. She's just praying. She prays for hours until the Lord gives her peace in the middle of the night in her prayers. At the same time in the village, they timed it all up later. Uh, as she's done praying, she has peace from God. George throws up. Now that's a spiritual gift of vomiting, okay? I'm gonna... <laughs> Talk about how to get that one later, right? That's the only way to get poison out of your body is to puke it out, right? Well, he, get, he throws up and then he's all better, he's healed. Okay, here's the point of that story. About a month goes by and a group of leaders from that tribe of the Tibetan priest comes to George privately. And they said to him, we gave you enough poison to kill 10 men and you've survived miraculously. And then they said, Obviously, your God is greater than ours. Tell us about your God. And they all receive Jesus as Lord. That's what miracles are for, right? So, so going back to the story of Paul, the, the, the miracle is pointing to Jesus. It keeps our focus on the Lord more than anything. It, more than the miracle itself of the guy coming up off his feet, springing up and walking around, it's the God of the miracle that's important. More than the hand of God, we should seek the heart and the face of God, keep seeking the Lord. And if we, if we don't, we can lose sight of God's heart and his, his love for us. We get distracted and focused on the wrong things. We idolize the miracle or we idolize the person who prayed over us for the miracle or we begin to worship the preacher instead of the gospel and the, the message instead of the messenger. We start worshiping the, the thing God did instead of the God who did the thing. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And that's exactly what happens. Now, it's interesting to note the, the things Paul says. He looks intently at him and he sees the faith the guy has to be made well. Paul's preaching. And then Paul says, stand up right on your feet. What he doesn't say is, in Jesus' name, I'm, I'm, I'm speaking this over you in the name of Jesus Christ, who's a healer, a forgiver. He doesn't bring Jesus up at all in this moment. Why is that important? Well, watch the reaction of the crowd, verse 11. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, see, before they're pointing their attention to Jesus, when people believed, they, when people had miracles, they worshiped God. But for some reason, when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted their voices and they said in Laconian, which is the local language, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Now watch this. Barnabas, they called Zeus, you're Zeus. Paul, they called Hermes because he talked a lot. He was the chief speaker. And then the priest of Zeus, whose temple was by the entrance of the city, he brings oxen and garlands of flowers to the gates and he wants to offer sacrifices to Paul and Barnabas with the crowds. The people got their hearts on Paul and Barnabas instead of on the Lord. And here's what I gotta ask the question. As a pastor, as a preacher, Paul didn't say in Jesus' name, I'm doing this in the name of Jesus. And what's crazy about that too is God is so gracious that even when Paul didn't do it right, God still did good to that crippled man. God is so good that even when the preacher was a dummy, he still blessed that guy that was paralyzed his whole life. By the way, all preachers are dummies. All of us have our issues. 
We've all, never ever put your hope in a pastor or a preacher or a miracle worker or some crusade speaker. Never do that. Never. Please, I'm asking you, I'm begging you as a pastor of this church, don't ever let me sit on a pedestal in your life or in your heart because I promise you I will disappoint you and I will fall off either by my own will or by God's will. I will fall and disappoint you. My job is simply to point you to Jesus. I will be gone one day. And that's what happens here. They got their attention on Paul and Barnabas. And if we're not careful, we seek the wrong things. We seek the hand of God and the move of God. And then we, we see it and we start to worship the activity. We idolize the healing. We idolize the speaker, or the, the person who's, listen, if you hear a strong sermon, focus on the Jesus of the sermon, not the preacher of the sermon. If you receive a miracle, give all praise to God. Quit thanking the person who prayed for you. In the same way, if you're hurt by somebody, if you're disappointed, Keep your focus on the Lord who will never hurt you, not the, quit idolizing the person who's hurt you. We don't worship people, we worship the Lord. But their response, they see this miracle and they don't know any better. And Paul didn't do it right, he didn't say, hey, this is about Jesus. And so they begin to throw down garlands and oxen, can you believe, like the, the priest of Zeus comes out, goes, we're gonna worship you now. I mean, what a crazy day. Look, in the last city they tried to stone Paul, in this city they wanna worship Paul. That's a confusing ministry tour. <laughs> Verse 14, Paul, when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul heard it, they tore their garments. This is a sign of grief. Otherwise, it's a pretty weird way to react. Just rip your clothes off, you know what I'm saying? Unless you're Superman. They tore their garments and they rushed into the crowd as they're about to slit the throat of the ox and burn the, the garlands there. He goes, whoa, 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 men, why are you doing these things? Whoa! Why are you doing these things? We're just men like you, nature with you. We, we've come to bring you good news. And look what he says. We're trying to tell you, you should turn from these vain things. Don't sacrifice this cat bull. Don't sacrifice all this stuff for us. Don't offer these offerings to us. Turn from these vain things and turn to the living God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all. And he goes on to appeal to them. Please stop doing this. Whoa, whoa, whoa. We're sorry. This is about Jesus, not about us. And they are so worked up. Look at this, verse 18. Even with all these words, they scarcely restrained those people from offering sacrifices to them. They kept worshiping Paul and Barnabas. Man, this crowd was, now listen, there's the guy who got healed running around. And then everyone else who saw it worshiping Paul and Barnabas. And Paul and Barnabas are pleading with them going, stop, stop, stop. And the people are like, oh, you. And they're worshiping them more. Can I just tell you? Not everyone's gonna listen to your bold declarations of the gospel. You're not responsible for that. Paul and Barnabas weren't, I mean, I think they were responsible for the way they talked about Jesus. Maybe they didn't teach it and explain it enough. But at the end of the day, God's grace is bigger than all of that. And, and, and Paul and Barnabas cannot be shut down because these people start worshiping. And by the way, I, I'm thankful too that Paul and Barnabas didn't go, hey, this is pretty nice. You know what, bring it. You know, like some people have done that. They've let people love on and dote on and honor them to the point of just idol worship. Paul and Barnabas doing their best, shut them down. Listen, God will cover you, God will protect you. And, and God, we need to help people keep seeking God more than anything else. Can I just encourage you, man, in your, in your living, in your life, when God does things for you, always give the glory back to the Lord. People have said to me over the years, pastor, you've changed my life. I go, no, I didn't. God changed your life. Yeah, well, yeah, okay, but I mean, you really, no, don't give me any credit. I don't take any glory. I don't take any credit. I don't take any responsibility. I just work for the dude. God changes people's lives. 
Please remember to keep pointing people to Jesus more than anything and anyone. Finally, I gotta finish because we're over time. Thank you for coming to fourth service where there are no outer boundaries. Thank you, yeah, that's right. The Spirit covers us. If we're gonna trust the Holy Spirit, we gotta trust that the Spirit will cover us and, here, and he does it in a very unique way. I want you to see this, so be ready. So, so let's work, work through the timeline. They're in Antioch of Pisidia. They preach, people get saved, people get mad, shake the boots off, leave town, go to Iconium. Come to Iconium, preach. A lot of people believe the rulers get mad. They wanna stone them. So they dip out of Iconium. They go to Lystra. They go to Lystra, they have a miracle. The guys running around all excited and the people start worshiping Paul and Barnabas. They retreat, please stop worshiping us. They worship even harder. Then the next passage in verse 19 says, this is a long text, but it all threads one theme of the, the, the move of the Holy Spirit. Watch this, verse 19. The Jews from Antioch, the first town they left and shook the dust off, they had come and met with Jews in Iconium. So now the, the last two cities they were in had people mad enough at Paul that they start chasing them down. The leaders, Jews from Antioch and Iconium have now persuaded the crowds and they stone Paul and leave him for dead on the edge of the city. This is not in any seminary class on how to prepare for this. They've persuaded the crowds now from fantasy, idol worship, or elation to God. They've persuaded them and they stone Paul and drag him out to the city supposing he was dead. Let me tell you something. Being killed by stoning is brutal, it's violent, it's slow, torturously painful. One big rock at a time, concussions, gashes in your body. It's brutal to be killed by stoning. Then they drag his lifeless body to the edge of town and dump him in a gutter. This is a, this is a tough preaching tour. He goes from miracles to being idolized to being left for dead. I don't know if any pastor would wanna sign up for this. I've known pastors like, I wish we had a biblical ministry. I was like, really? I mean, it's hard, but watch this. But the disciples gathered around him. His church came around him. His small group showed up. It says they gathered about him and he rose up. This, this gathered about him implies they laid hands and they prayed, they circled around him. They let the spirit of God start doing miraculous things through them and look what happens. He got up and went back into that city. I ain't coming back. This mug gets up, goes back into the city, and on the next day, I mean, it takes weeks to heal from being stoned close to death. On the next day, he grabs Barnabas, he goes, come on, we're going to Derby." It goes on to say, when they preached the gospel to that city, they made many disciples. They returned to Lystra and Iconium where they got stoned and to Antioch, the first city where they shook the dust, strengthening the souls of the remaining disciples. Look, you can't cancel my assignment with pressure, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through the many tribulations we enter into the kingdom of God. Working for God, living for God, serving the Lord might get hard, but God will keep you and cover you, church. I'm telling you, trust that God will cover you. Look at that. In the first part of the story, the spirit gives him a word, gives him miracles, and then has to give him a way out. In the second city, the spirit gives Paul a miracle of healing a guy crippled since birth and then the boldness to preach against idolatry. And now the Spirit gives Paul life in his body and then uses other Christians. Listen to this, this is what's so significant. The Holy Spirit is working in and among us, but notice it's in us and it's among us. We need one another for healing and transformation. Listen, 
It's the Christians that come around to pray healing on him. And he immediately goes back into ministry assignment. Let me tell you something. We need to trust that the Holy Spirit will cover us, that he'll be with us and live in us and with us in our highest highs and our lowest lows. We need also not only the Spirit of God, and some of you Lone Ranger Christians, you're not gonna like what I'm about to tell you, but the Spirit fleshes it out in community with the body of Christ. You not only need the Spirit, listen, Jesus, the Father, loves you and welcomes you. The Son paid the price for you and invites you, and the Spirit lives in you and among us. So Jesus gave eternal life and a church. You need both. Listen, I know people, when life gets hard, we pull out, we back away. I had a guy tell me yesterday, he said, my family's falling apart and I'm ashamed and embarrassed and I don't wanna bring you shame. And to avoid the gossip, he says, I won't be around. I call him, I said, you're not leaving the church, you're leaning into the church right now. When it's hard, we go in. We don't pull back when life's hard. That's so selfish to do that. You need the body of Christ, you need the church. Don't worry about this. If you go to a church that shames you, go to another one. Because when life is hard and hell comes on full attack, you need the spirit in the body coming around you to cover you with prayer and encouragement. God wants to be present in our lives. He wants to be present in our lives and he wants to use your church family to cover you and encourage you, empower you, protect you and build you in your life when it's falling apart. God wants to gift you your church family, gift you a small group together. When you're dealing with hell on earth, unforgiveness, resentment, you've been abused, maligned, taken advantage of, your marriage is falling apart, your health is failing, you've been attacked by others. The Lord wants to gift you with his spirit and with his church. This is one of the reasons I believe everybody needs to be in a small group. And it's another reason I keep telling you to belong to a dream team. Because as a team, we huddle together, we pray for one another, we sharpen each other, we courage, we look out for each other, we lift each other up, we surround each other in prayer and encouragement. We've watched dream teams and small groups help people through divorce and abuse and job loss and diagnoses of terrible illnesses. We gather with the church family to see people healed. It's amazing how many miracles of the Holy Spirit Paul and Barnabas experienced and almost every single one of them was in community with the church. So we need to trust the Holy Spirit. If you're part of LifePoint Church, you need to trust this is the place where God wants to do some things with you and through you. I started by asking, would you trust the Holy Spirit? And I said, there's no Christian life without the Holy Spirit in us and among us. And I said, we all need the Holy Spirit's activity in our lives. So what if? What if we just open our heart to trust the Holy Spirit more? He's God, he's good and he's gentle. He's for you. I think some of the abuse or the misuse or the crazy, confusing things, I, here's the thing, God's never confusing, but his people may be. And I think if things have left you confused, you might wanna just keep leaning in and keep asking the Lord, don't reject even his weird saints, you know what I'm saying? Aren't you thankful nobody rejected Paul when he didn't bring up Jesus when he healed a guy? But just keep your heart tender to the Lord. Are you open to more of the spirit in your life? Please don't live this life thinking, I believe in Jesus and I'm just gonna work really hard not to mess up. That's not Christianity. Are you open to more of the Holy Spirit in your life? Are you open to the Spirit convicting you of sin, empowering you with gifts, giving you boldness to pray prayers because we trust that God will answer them? What if we would boldly start laying hands on people, touching their shoulder, their head, and say, hey, let me pray over your marriage, let me pray over your body, and let's start believing God to answer prayers on the back end. 
What if we look, what would it look like if we said bold things about the gospel? Quit worrying about offending people or separation of church and state. It's not even real. Why don't we offend people into heaven instead of not offending people right into hell? Be bold with the gospel. Be bold with the word. Hey, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. You get off that social media. You turn that smut off. You watch your mouth around me because we serve God confidently and boldly. What would it look like if we started inviting people to know Jesus, belong to his church, even at the risk of being outcast or talked down to? Listen, I ain't ever met a Christian in 25 years of serving God who's been stoned to death for talking about Jesus. Not one time. I've heard Christians for years, well, you know, I don't want to deal with pressure. I don't want to be ashamed or burdened. You ain't been stoned to death. I feel like Paul would look at some of what we're afraid of in the church world today and be like, really? Hmm. And then he just judges sharply. What if we commit to the body of Christ in a way that we see God move miraculously in our church, in our small group? Here's the big question. Will you give God, the Holy Spirit, more room to lead your everyday life. See, I think the spirit-filled life is the Christian life. I think it's every day. One of the challenges with the spirit-filled theology is we, we think the Holy Spirit only moves on a Sunday when the worship's good and the temperature's right and the preacher really brought it. But I think the Holy Spirit works every day, all day. And frankly, I've known some churches that got a lot of things happening in church, but some people that are mean, man, you just go, do you even love the God you talk about? But we love what God does. I'm talking about every day. We get to live spirit-filled, spirit-led lives because the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us. You have the gift of the Holy Spirit all the time. You walk in the power of the Holy Spirit every day. You get to be convicted by His Spirit, taught by His Spirit, trained and reminded, filled, empowered with His Spirit. Are we open to that as a church? Father, in the name of Jesus, we open our hearts and our hands and our lives to more of the Spirit of God. Jesus, you made a way for us to know God and find freedom and be filled with the Holy Spirit through your death and resurrection. And today, Lord God, we say as a church, we want more and more and more of you. God, in Jesus' name, would you give us the fullness of your Holy Spirit? God, would you baptize us, fill us, empower us, equip us, overwhelm us with an everyday life of the Spirit? In Jesus' name, God, would you convict us of sin? Teach us to live in a way that pleases you. Teach us to walk with you, to be uh, miracle people, God, walking in the gifts of the Spirit, gifts of healing and faith and tongues. And God, your word said in Mark 16 that, that the Spirit-filled believer, the Christian, would lay hands on the sick and they'd get healed, that we would drive out demons out of people, that we would, God, we, we, we wouldn't be harmed by deadly things like snakes and poison, God, that we would speak in new tongues word says that we'd be gifted to evangelize and share the gospel. And so, Lord, we invite, welcome, and covet the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Maybe we've never said this before, but God, we welcome you in by the power of your Holy Spirit. Hey, there's no spirit-filled life without a surrender to Jesus as Lord. And I want to ask everybody in the room, come on, this is our confession time together. We're going to say we believe in Jesus. We're going to commit our lives to him. And we're gonna invite the Holy Spirit to lead us from this day forward. I'm gonna pray that God baptize and fill every one of us today by the power of the Holy Spirit. Would you open your hands to the Lord all around this room? Come on, everybody. Pray this with me. Say, God, I believe in Jesus. Say, I believe he died for me and raised from the dead so that I can have eternal life and forgiveness of sins. I accept your forgiveness. I ask for your mercy 
and your salvation as a gift, I receive it in Jesus' name. Now pray this and mean it. God, I receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the infilling of the Holy Spirit. I long for your power and your spirit in my everyday life in Jesus' name. Ask the Lord, say, God, convict me of sin. Equip me to live for you every day boldly in Jesus' name. I receive the Spirit. Come on, say this. Say, I covet the Spirit in my life in Jesus' name. More of you, less of me. Say it again. More of you and less of me by the power of the Spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, let's celebrate what the Lord's doing in His church.